Greetings. I'm Matt Matthews, one of the pastors here at First Pres in Champaign, and I'm happy to welcome you to our media ministry. Join us in person. We're located at the intersection of Church and State Streets, adjacent to Westside Park in downtown Champaign. Our traditional worship service is at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, and on most of those Sundays, we offer French translation. Our contemporary services on Sunday begin at 11.15 a.m. When you come to First Pres, what you'll find, what I hope you'll find, is a community of people who support each other and who are passionate about making a difference in our community and beyond. You'll find relevant teaching for children and adults. We have at least a dozen Bible studies in small groups, including pickleball, that's right, pickleball, adult choir, a bell choir for all comers, and other programs and events designed to grow your faith and give you and me opportunities to serve. There's a place for you. I'm glad you tuned in. Today's passage is a long gospel passage. It's a chapter from the Gospel of John, so listen for God's word. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one, none of the works of him who, no one can work, excuse me. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying it is he, others were saying no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am he. But they kept asking, me, asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then he went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he answered, I do not know. The Jews did not believe that he had, excuse me, they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, 
But we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I don't know whether he is a sinner. For one thing, I do know that though I was blind, I now see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you were trying to teach us, and they drove him out. Jesus had heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord... I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said, surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin, but now that you say we see, your sin remains. I think it's pretty easy to look on the disciples and decide that they are quite clueless clueless in their question to Jesus today. I mean, who in their right mind would ask why someone was born without sight, or for that matter, hearing, or a left arm? And to assume that a man was born blind, to assume that of a man born blind, or his parents, or how about assuming blame? Who sinned? Whose fault is it anyway? I'm a firm believer that God does not make mistakes, that all are created in the wondrous image of God. A few years ago, I went to an art exhibit at the Illini Union entitled, What She Wore. It was a set of clothing of women who had been sexually assaulted and what they were wearing at the time of the attack. And if you've watched any crime dramas like me, you might assume that the victim was wearing a short skirt or a plunging neckline, but alas, the gallery walls were full of baggy sweatpants and flannel pajama pants and oversized sweatshirts and other very ordinary clothing. 
the exhibit really made clear to me that the question of what was she wearing is not a valid question when talking about the victim of a crime. It is victim blaming and victim shaming. And I think there's a bit of that in our scripture today. Jesus' disciples, upon encountering a man who was born blind, asked Jesus a simple question. Who sinned, the man or his parents, that he was born blind? Asking who sinned just is not helpful. Certainly, we do know that Jesus' contemporaries believed that sin was behind certain medical abnormalities, but we now know that that just is not true. Sure, Jesus responded that neither the man nor his parents sinned, but he said the man was born blind so that God's works could be revealed in him. Frankly, that's a place where I struggle when I think from the standpoint of a hardship being set upon a person for a godly purpose. But I'm thinking from my own perspective. Certainly, it is harder, or it may be harder for a person who is blind to function in the world, but it does not make that blind person anything less than. Author Kate Bowler in a, has a wonderful book entitled, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. It's a memoir by Dr. Bowler, a theology professor at Duke Divinity School and a mom of a very young child who was diagnosed in her 30s with stage four colon cancer. She talks about wrestling with the question of why. Why did this happen to me? Aren't I a good person? Her story takes us through her journey through suffering and treatments and talks of things that were helpful all through the lens of her faith. She also has a podcast I follow called Everything Happens, end of the name, because certainly doesn't everything really just happen? We don't know why, and frankly, I think why is perhaps the wrong question. But don't we do that? Don't we regularly ask why, why there is so much pain, why people especially good people or young people get sick or hurt when it's not their fault. We ask why so many young people die young. We wonder why families do not work out the way they should work out. We wonder about a lot of things. When we look at others with the lens that folks with disabilities or outside of what we might view as the norm are somehow not right or imperfect or less than or heaven forbid sinful because they are different, I believe that says more about us than it does about the other. One theologian said it is important to realize that Jesus, what Jesus does when he responds to this question. First, he rejects both options. In doing this, Jesus is rejecting all explanatory answers to the question of why. Instead, Jesus refuses to make sense of this situation by explaining it in terms of either the divine will or human sin. So he rejects the explanation that bad things happen because the victims are bad or because people don't have enough faith or because they don't pray correctly or whatever explanation folks come up with before. Neither Jesus nor the Christian faith offers any clear, rational, sensible explanation of senseless suffering. 
Neither does Jesus nor the Christian faith give us answers to the problem in the way we want answers. Instead, we're left with the brute fact that we live in a world that really isn't fair. A world that is marked by ambiguity and inconsistency. A world that is dangerous. We live in a world where tragedy happens for no apparent reason to folks who absolutely do not deserve it. We will never understand to our satisfaction, and it doesn't do any good to pretend otherwise. In answer to the question of who sinned, Jesus gets down into the dirt and makes some mud. Adama, the stuff of God's earliest creative acts to bring the man born blind into a fullness of being. This now seeing man demonstrates God's will for Christ in the world to labor towards its perfected end. Jesus took this mud and spread it on the man's eyes and then tells the man born blind to go wash in the pool. This getting into the mud and creating sight out of the dust of the earth, it's a story that might sound familiar in this season of Lent, which started on Ash Wednesday when we got our own dirt smudged on our foreheads. God is not afraid of the mess. In fact, I, can, I would say that we can almost always find God in the middle of the messiness of life. That's where God is needed the most and God's creative power is most evident. After creating sight where there was none and revealing light, Jesus then exit stage right for many verses. What happens next is that the blind man, or the formerly blind man, comes back from the pool of Siloam, now able to see with eyes that have been opened and is met with some upset folks with lots of questions. But again, they are not even close to the right questions. First, the neighbors. The one thing we know that changed about this formerly blind man is that he now has sight. But the neighbors don't recognize him, see him as he is now, nor really believe that it's the same man. And they really want to know how this all happened. They want to know where Jesus went. The neighbors see the man, but they don't really see what happened, the miracle. And certainly, they don't see the meaning. And since a miracle seems to have happened in their very midst, they then take the man to their religious leaders. The Pharisees are very interested in the how of it all also. But some of them point out that it was the Sabbath and proclaim that Jesus could not be from God because he did work on the Sabbath and, in fact, must himself be a sinner. These leaders of the faith look through the lens of law and they don't see Jesus for who he is. The Pharisees then turn to the man and ask him for his take on Jesus. What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the formerly blind man merely answers, he is a prophet. Well, that's not an acceptable answer to them. They simply do not believe him. They don't believe that he had been blind since birth, and they go and haul his parents in and ask them, and after that questioning, the Pharisees call the blind man back in for a second testimony and grill him again on what had happened. They want him to give glory to God, 
and denounced Jesus because he worked on the Sabbath and therefore must be a sinner. Our formerly blind man appears to get weary of all the questions and says one simple factual line that we might recognize from a song. I was blind, but now I see. Again, the Pharisees want to know how and what. He asks why they want to know so that they could be his disciples. Well, that question offended them, and they want none of that. They revile the man and say with disgust that this man is a disciple of Jesus. Sounds pretty good to me, but they're... They are disciples of Moses. They know God spoke to Moses, but they cannot see that God is still at work and alive in the person of Jesus. They can only see through the lens of law and are blind to that loving work of Jesus. They put more emphasis on rules and not stepping outside the letter of the law. They seem to have missed the notion that Sabbath is for humankind to understand our need for rest and to see that we are not in control, or perhaps that's why I need Sabbath, but our exasperated, formerly blind man makes a profound declaration of faith. Here is an astonishing thing, he says. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. He says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Seems that he is the only one who sees clearly. Reverend James Lyle said in his reflection on today's text in Christian Century, We like to say that seeing is believing, yet when Jesus clearly demonstrates the compassionate power of God, we look for reasons not to believe. John invites us to see ourselves in the disciples, the neighbors, the Pharisees, and the parents. We are those who prefer not to see what is right in front of our eyes. We would prefer to live in the darkness we know rather than open our eyes to the blinding, brilliant light of God's presence in our midst. Still, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Jesus takes all the deep darkness upon himself to the cross to open our eyes. This means opening our eyes and hearts and compassion for those who suffer. But first, it means opening our eyes to the presence of Jesus, the Word made flesh. The glory of God shining hard and bright in his death and resurrection. Lyle went on to say, once we see Jesus, we are no longer free to be blind. Those who worship Christ are called to see what is right in front of our eyes, the hungry, the homeless, the displaced, the terrorized, the marginalized. The people of God no longer have the luxury or the capacity to ignore those in need. We cannot trust our own sight. Thankfully, in and through Jesus, we don't have to trust our eyes. We simply have to trust him as he reveals over and over again the work that God continues to accomplish right in front of us. In the messiness of community, that's where Jesus returns to the scene. The man born blind encounters Jesus and makes a declaration of faith in him, and Jesus welcomes him into the fold and explains, as the Gospel of John goes on, what that means. 
The question of whose sin is it anyway is addressed in a, another statement of Jesus. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And this is no royal we, that we must work the works of him who sent me. It's meant for you and me. We are called to be present, to reach out and to be there when bad things happen, when marriages unravel, when the spouse slips further and further into Alzheimer's, to bring soup over when our friends cancel plans because they are ill. Listen to that nudge, that sense that someone really should, and see Jesus in those in our midst. We are probably not going to get a satisfactory answer to the question of whose sin is it anyway, or why bad things happen to such a good person. Everything happens, my friends. But friends, don't stay home and wring your hands. Go, serve, sit with those in pain, with those hurting. Pick up the phone and call them. Don't just think about them. James Liggett said in his sermon for today, what makes sense out of tragedy is not that we understand it. Instead, that God has taken it upon himself and God is present in and through it. And that God calls us to love him and to serve him and to find him in our own pain and that of our brothers and sisters. We are never alone, never forsaken. God is indeed with us even and perhaps most at the very heart of the very worst. This isn't the explanation we ask for, and it certainly isn't the answer we want. Still, it's the truth. It's honest. And it promises that we matter, that our service and care are important. It promises that we are never alone, never forsaken. God is indeed with us in every heart of the very worst. And that, finally, is enough. Amen. Thank you for joining this podcast of First Presbyterian Church Champaign. Visit us at our campus at the intersection of Church and State Streets in downtown Champaign. And for more information, visit us online at www.firstpres.church. Have a great week.